Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Around the Keg podcast. I'm your host, Whit Barfield. It's Monday, January 25th, 2021, and we've got a lot to cover today after another great weekend of playoff football. We've got tons of mailbag questions, but before we get into that, let's uh, let's hear from the guys. Guys, it's been a week since I've got to check in on y'all. How's everybody doing? Doing good, man. Uh, staying busy. We're on in full swing in baseball, high school baseball here in Georgia, so I'm extremely busy, but... I love this time of year. It's the best time of year. Really don't have any time on the weekends to hang out, but watch playoff football on Sunday. That was awesome. Other than that, doing great. Lando, how are you, man? Doing fantastic, man. Uh, This past weekend is the last weekend that there will not be some form of racing on TV. The Rolex 24 is on Saturday, and I am super excited to finally get some racing in. I'm itching for some racing. Can't freaking wait. Keys, how was your weekend, man? My weekend was pretty good. I saw Trey Lewis perform. That was pretty cool. And uh, pretty happy this past couple of weeks. I've been chilling, watching some hockey. Hockey season's in full swing. We got like something like there's a streak of like 116 days where there's hockey on. So excited about that one. Been watching some playoff football. Just kind of relaxing. I kind of was kind of glad we took a little bit of a week off there. It was unexpected, but I was kind of okay with it. Ended up being a good thing. Just got to relax a little bit and, and hang out. What about you, Whit? Yeah, my weekend was pretty slow. Uh, my brother ended up coming in town kind of last minute, and uh, I took him out to Printer's Alley over in downtown Nashville Friday night, and uh, we went and watched the Preds game for a little bit, and they were getting absolutely destroyed. So we, we went off to a bar and just started drinking. But Saturday, we woke up the next morning, played a little bit of golf, and then uh, came back here, passed out until the Conor McGregor fight, and got some wings and just chilled out for that. So, yeah, pretty pretty chill overall. Had a good weekend, though. Yeah, our uh, Predators aren't doing so hot right now, especially not against the Dallas Stars. They're kind of our kryptonite right now. I know, and I'm sure Mark is loving it, though, living over in Fort Worth. I know he actually talked about trying to go to the game uh, Friday. I don't know if he actually ended up getting to go, but he said tickets were really expensive. But he had a buddy who was trying to hook him up. I didn't even notice the hockey was having fans. Yeah, not in Nashville, though. Not in Nashville, oh. it's, you can't have fans at all. I think they're doing... Um, like families and spouses and stuff like that, and like girlfriends and whatnot can get in. I don't know if they can get friends in too, but there's no tickets to the public. I know that for sure. But Mark's in Dallas. They're selling them. Yeah, well, that's Texas. Yeah. (laughs) Well, enough about hockey. Let's go ahead and get into some football. How about those playoff games this week? I always love NFL playoff football. Like, for whatever reason, whenever I – decide that I like NFL again it's always close to playoff time I, I I don't it doesn't really excite me I guess a lot of that is because I have nothing to be excited about as a Jacksonville Jaguars fan normally um we're very abysmal most years so you know whenever there's playoff football on I always I, I just love watching cold weather games uh it, it's exciting and and can we just all bask in Tom Brady's greatness for a minute Right, yeah, man. I was going to bring that up. We we all need to take a pause and just appreciate what we're witnessing with Tom Brady. Tom Brady is about to play in his 10th Super Bowl. Let that soak in. He's about to play in his 10th Super Bowl. Most NFL players barely make it to one Super Bowl. He's going to his 10th. If, if it wasn't for the NFC East, Tom Brady would have nine Super Bowl championships. It's insane. It's insane. And in the span that he's done, he went to his first Super Bowl when Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen were in kindergarten. He won his first Super Bowl 
when they were in kindergarten, and now he's going to be playing against Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Just the span of time that he's done it in, and you see it with Drew Brees, like last weekend, whenever they lost uh, to Tampa Bay, Drew Brees is younger than Brady, and he can't move the ball downfield. Brady made throws this weekend, and it was just like, oh, Tom Brady still got it. <laughs> like, no drop-off. Yeah, I, uh, I told with this stat um, the other day, Tom Brady has played under four different U.S. presidents. That's how long he's played the game. Two of them were eight-term or eight-year terms, like two-term presidents. Yeah. Golly, it's just <laughs> unbelievable, man. And he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the league and about to go to a Super Bowl and has a good chance to win a Super Bowl. And if you look at the, it's insane. If you look at the talent on that team, too, like he added Gronk and Antonio Brown, but Antonio Brown hasn't been there. He wasn't there this weekend. A lot of that team is left over from Jameis Winston last year. Like it's not a complete exact same team, but it's not all. It's also not that different. And you just see how important the quarterback position is in the NFL. Yeah, like shows you the the difference between Jameis Winston and Tom Brady. Tom Brady, the first couple games uh, with Tampa Bay, he wasn't really allowed to control that offense. He was still trying to get the feel of uh, Bruce Arians' system. And now that he's gotten that feel, Bruce Arians said it, even said it the other day, he is allowing Tom Brady to call his own plays, to be the coach on the field, to be the coach at practice. And you can definitely tell that this offense is it's completely different. It's kind of like what we would see in, uh, in in New England with the way their offense ran. Very heavy run-based and getting those tight ends down the seam. And now it has that little Bruce Arians touch with all those deep passes. So Tampa Bay is, is very dangerous, but Kansas City is also very dangerous with Pat Mahomes. Yeah, I, I think you hit a key point there with Kansas City. I mean, they're, they're unstoppable, man. That offense is a cheat code. It really is. There's like, how do you stop it? The run game's good. Mahomes is great in the court and as a quarterback, he's a little bit mobile. When he's mobile, Kelsey and him have great improv situations, and then Tyreek Hill is ungodly fast. If Patrick Mahomes keeps this up, he could have a very strong chance to challenge Tom Brady as the greatest quarterback of all time. Because think about it, he just played in his third straight. AFC Championship game. He's going to his second straight Super Bowl. He has a chance to win another Super Bowl this year. And if the Chiefs uh, organization can keep this team together, keep this nucleus together, and continue to draft good players, they're going to be very, very dangerous for a long time. And speaking of that, I honestly think it's time we start to talk about Tyreek Hill as the best wide receiver in the NFL. Um, Obviously, I'm a big Falcons fan, so I'm going to say Julio is still the best. But, I mean... He's been absolutely unreal this year. And I mean, a lot of the guys you could put in that discussion, like Michael Thomas had a huge drop off. Um, Stefan Diggs is starting to come up there. So, I mean, you could kind of put him in the conversation. OBJ dropped off completely. Um, but I mean, he's had multiple 200 yard games this year. I mean, in the uh, AFC championship, he had 172 yards and nine receptions. And uh, he had one of the best cornerbacks in the league covering him for most of that game. So he's, I mean, he's been on an absolute tear this year. You could also say that Travis Kelsey would even compare in that receiving statistic because I saw, I think, what, he had 1,400 yards this year? That's more than most receivers in the NFL. And he's on the same team as Tariq, too, which is ridiculous. I think they complement each other so well. And, and a lot of it has to do with Mahomes. He's one of, Mahomes is one of those quarterbacks that he can extend the play 
And it's the improv throws. Like you see it with Josh Allen sometimes too. The difference is, is Josh Allen, he will try to make a play and then he'll take a 20 yard sack. Like he did a couple of times yesterday and, Mm -hmm. and hurt his team. But like with Mahomes, he'll run around for a second and like Kelsey will make a cut and end up wide open. And Mahomes is one of the only guys in the NFL with the arm strength to make a throw across his body, across the field and it not get picked off and float. And, you know, him and Kelsey just do so well. And then same with Tyreek Hill. Like, you'll see Tyreek Hill run those slant routes and just get the ball to him in space, or he'll run a curl route where if you give him the ball in space, he's dangerous. And I think that he, what Tyreek Hill's done, I wouldn't say he's like the best receiver in the league just because if it's fourth and goal on the five yard line, I'm not. I'm not going to be like, all right, I'm, you, you get the ball to number 10. You know, I, I still think Julio is a, a better receiver in that. Stephon Diggs, like, you would rely on those guys. But what Tyreek Hill's done is he's opening up the wide receiver position to guys that are 5'9", 5'8", good hands and fast because they, they add value to an offense, like an Elijah Moore type of player. Yeah, we're and uh, since we're still on the topic of Super Bowl, NFL playoffs, I, I want to kind of talk about Lamar Jackson and his – abysmal performance in his playoff game against the Bills a couple weeks ago. Uh, I said this to the guys, the Baltimore Ravens will never, ever make it to an AFC championship game with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. And that's, there's one simple reason to this. He can't throw the football. His, 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 his throwing prowess is terrible for an NFL quarterback. He is an athlete pretending to, to be an NFL quarterback. And if the Ravens were smart, they would be looking at colleges who have really good quarterbacks and bring in another quarterback because the the writing's on the wall. Each time Lamar Jackson has played in a big-time NFL playoff game, what does that team do? That team stacks the box. That team takes away his run game. They take away all that run game, and they make him have to throw against one-on-one man-to-man coverage. They make him have to make plays with his arm, and time and time again, he's proven that he can't do it. I'll say this about Lamar, though. I mean, like, he's got Hollywood Brown, and who else to throw to? Yeah, I'm with you there. He's got no weapons. I mean, Mark Mark Andrews is a studded tight end, but besides that, those are their only two guys. And I'm also in agreement with Lando. I would not build a team around Lamar because he, like, he— he doesn't have much to develop in, in his passing game. Like he's about where he's going to be the rest of his career. So it's not like Josh Allen where like he kind of came into the league and he had some accuracy issues and whatnot and some leadership issues maybe, but he had that huge arm. He had the build. He, he had something you could work with. And, and then he added on that run game too. I mean, he led the team this weekend in rushing yards. He had 88 off of seven carries. So like with Lamar as spectacular as he is and as, like really fun to watch as he is and as great as he is in the run game it's just no matter how many weapons you build around him I don't really think he's going to be anywhere close to like what Patrick Mahomes has been or or Aaron Rodgers or anybody like that right and Matt I have a rebuttal to your statement so why is it that when Lamar Jackson goes crazy goes goes nuts in a game we say oh he's the MVP oh he's so great and we mention nothing about him having weapons but when he looks looks abysmal and and looks human we're like oh he has no weapons he needs he needs weapons he's uh, the offensive linemen are blocking for him why why is there a, a double standard for that well I, I think whenever you talk about Lamar Jackson going off in a game normally he does it with his legs and it's they have the run game going 
when he when he struggles, it's because a lot of times, and 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 I'm I'm in agreement with both of you. I wouldn't build an NFL franchise around it, but I also think that you, in order for Lamar to be successful, you have to put an entire system in place for him to be successful. Like I feel like a Michael Thomas type of guy, even a guy that doesn't run the deep routes very well. Like Michael Thomas is a slant route guy. If you give if you give Lamar and a, a guy that can catch those short intermediate passes, he's going to be able to do more than he can right now with with just Hollywood Brown because I mean that that's to me that's really all he's got. He's got Mark Andrews is a good tight end, but I I don't know. I mean the reason you you ooh and ah over Lamar when he goes off is because a lot of times it is him. And then when he struggles, you're like, okay, well, there is a lack of weapons around him to to help him out on top of it. Yeah, I mean, I think he his game would improve if he did put weapons around him. But the way that the league is going this these days, it's, it's a pass-first league. So if you don't have a quarterback who can throw the ball 40 times a game and take the top off the defense, you're really not going to get too far in the playoffs. Yeah, and speaking of teams that have struggled in the playoffs recently, is it time to call Green Bay the Notre Dame of the NFL? Oh, man. Green Bay. What was head coach Matt LaFleur doing? And what was Aaron Rodgers doing? You, like, watching SportsCenter over the past day, you know, people are trying to put blame on Aaron Rodgers. People are trying to put blame on, on Matt LaFleur. I think blame goes both ways for, for, for both of those guys because, you know, I yes, I am a – a, a Monday night quarterback. I sit for my, you know, my my easy chair, watch the game, and I obviously know what I'm talking about. But from what I saw, Aaron Rodgers had a huge lane to run it to at least get to the two yard line, if if not get in the end zone. He had he had a chance to get into the end zone, and then uh, Matt Lafleur, why are we not going forward on fourth down? Why are you kicking a field goal? Why are you putting the ball back in the greatest quarterback of all time's hand? to run the clock down. You're basically handcuffing yourself and saying, oh, well, better luck next time. We'll, we'll get him next year. Yeah, it that whole that, that sequence, you have to go for it there, right? I mean, like, I, I don't feel like it's any, it's crazy. Like, I feel like the analytics have to say you go for that and you, you've got to get a stop either way. So if you don't get it, you need a touchdown and a two-point conversion. Or if you kicked a field goal like they did, you've got to stop them and score a touchdown. So either way, the odds are stacked against you. Like, I I just don't understand where the thought process was from Matt LaFleur to kick the field goal there. Like, you, you've got the MVP of the league this year at quarterback, and you're taking the ball out of his hands and giving it to the greatest quarterback of all time that we've already mentioned, has won six Super Bowls, Three MVPs, like, I mean, the dude's a freak. And you're going to give the ball to that guy instead of your guy? I just don't understand that. There's a difference between trusting your defense to get you the ball back and making the correct call. Like, that was just, like, two minutes. You really don't give yourself any room for error there. No. Was it, was it, was it like, two minutes and six seconds or something? Yeah, there was. it was just over two minutes. Uh, I think it was 2.06. Yeah, that's, that's not enough time. I mean, Brady was giving them chances to win that game. From the third quarter on, I mean, he, I mean, he had three interceptions in a row, and he only took advantage of one of them. So, like, like, yeah, that drive right there and that little that decision was huge in that game. But I just don't understand how. I mean, the Packers, those last, the first interception they they took it down, and scored a touchdown. The second two interceptions by Brady, they went three and out immediately, and they had pretty good field position too. They weren't really in field goal range, but they definitely could have made a move. So, 
I don't know. I don't know what they were doing there. I think they just started pressing a little bit. Uh, do you guys think that that was Aaron Rodgers' last game for the Green Bay Packers? I, I personally think that was his last game for the Green Bay Packers. I don't. I think that there's going to be a ton of talk around it this offseason, and there's going to be stories that are created about, oh, yeah, you know, Aaron Rodgers isn't happy. But the Green Bay Packers would be stupid to let him walk at this point. Because I don't think Jordan Love's developed enough to take over and keep them competitive. The the Packers would be dumb to let him walk after this year. No way. I think I think Aaron Rodgers will be back, and him and Lafleur will be fine. I, you know, in the moment you're pissed off, especially as an athlete. Like we all played sports. If your coach didn't give you an opportunity to win the game or at least tie the game, you would be pissed off. And so those emotions are, came out in the press conference. I think you know they'll they'll fix it. You know, they're they're a couple plays away from being in the Super Bowl. Yeah, to me, I've I've heard that rumor quite a bit since that game. I didn't see the press conference, so I'm not sure exactly what he said afterwards. But I've had a lot of people ask me today, they're like, do you think that he's going to go to San Francisco? Because he's, you know, went to college at Cal and whatnot. I don't think, I think if he wanted to leave the Packers, I think he would have done it already. Like, I think he'll probably stick it out there for the rest of his career unless the Packers push him out the door. Because, I mean, he's he's been the best quarterback in the NFL for the last probably like 10 years or so. So, I mean, he's he's an absolute superstar. Even at his older age now, he's still at the top of his game. I mean, obviously, I, I would say Pat Mahomes is probably the best quarterback in the league right now. But I'd say Aaron Rodgers is at least two, maybe three. I think I find it hard to believe that the Packers would push him out. And I don't really think he's going to leave on his own. Um, I think somebody would have to throw some real draft capital and some really, really, really good up-and-coming players at the Packers for them to want to do that. But, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get into our mailbag. Uh, so our first question is from at Chad S underscore 529. And his question is, outside of the obvious uh, group of five teams like Coastal and uh, Louisiana, uh, Cincinnati, teams like that, what group of five program had the most impressive year? I think it was the Tulsa Golden Hurricanes. Uh, if you look at their season, they lost to Oklahoma State by seven. They beat SMU, who was a top 25 team. They beat UCF. Uh, so they had two pretty impressive wins. Then they played Cincinnati, and they pushed them to the brink. It was a three-point game. And then you look at their game against Mississippi State in the bowl game, and, and they played them. They lost a two-point game to a, a much-improved Mississippi State team that actually had beaten LSU that season. So I, I think Tulsa had a great year. They've got a lot to build on, and that defense played lights out this year. That uh, So I think Tulsa, outside of your obvious uh, coastals, like uh, ULs, all that, I think it's Tol- the Tulsa Golden Hurricanes. I, I was impressed. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that one, Matt. Uh, Tulsa has always been a solid little program. They always put up a good fight against Power 5 schools and and even the schools in in the Group of 5. They had a fantastic standout year this year, and I think uh, next year they're going to improve on what they did uh, this past year and be even better. Yeah, Tulsa did have a really good year, and it was kind of surprising seeing how well they played this year. Um, Even though you could probably say they probably have been on the rise for the past couple years, but I actually went with... um, UAB, they were six and three this year, which um, really doesn't sound that crazy. But in just a conference schedule, you're playing nine games. It's really not that bad. Um, but they won the conference USA, and their three losses were to Miami, who going into bowl season was like a top fifteen team, uh, Louisiana, who was 
They only lost to them by four, who honestly, in my opinion, would have won the Sun Belt if they would have gotten to play the Sun Belt Championship against Coastal Carolina. And uh, their third loss was to Louisiana Tech by three in double overtime. So um, I think people really aren't giving Bill Clark a lot of credit. He came in to coach them um, after their hiatus from football because, you know, UAB got rid of their football program back in like, I think it was like 2014, 2015. Um, And ever since then, Bill Clark has had them playing at a really high level for a group of five team. I think they've had um, nine win or 10 win seasons every year since he's been there. So um, I would, I'm definitely going with UAB. Yeah. I was about to say, I'm really glad that UAB bounced back from that because when that happened, it was kind of like devastating for a lot of players. It was kind of disappointing and surprising and they've kind of made a pretty good bounce back. So good for them. I'm, I was always a little side fan of UAB's restart up. The people of Alabama, for whatever reason, they love they love some UAB. Like everyone's an Alabama fan or an Auburn fan, but then everyone kind of likes. No one has anything against UAB. They kind of pull for UAB. You know, like hey, go UAB. That's good. Good for them. And when they when they decided to cancel their program, it was a big deal across the state. I mean, it, it just was. And I remember when they were rebuilding. I was like, all right, you good for you, UAB. And honestly, they've had a pretty strong program in, since coming back. They play in the old Iron Bowl, Legion Stadium, right? Yes, they do. The thing is falling apart, but... Oh, yeah. It's in shambles. Home of the Blazers, baby. Yep, everybody loves the Blazers. Um, But moving on to our next question. This one is from at Mr. Tank Handsome. And his question is, do y'all think Rutgers can keep up the momentum from this year? I I actually do. Now, I, I think it's all in the scope of Rutgers competitiveness. I think Rutgers can be competitive in the Big Ten in games. I don't think that they're competing for a New Year's Six in the next two, three years. But I could definitely see Rutgers being in that tier of we're going to push every team that we play into a touchdown game, which is good for Rutgers. Greg Schiano is a great developer of talent. Uh, I think his stints in the NFL really helped him out, and he's a really good recruiter in that area. You saw that the first time that he was there at Rutgers. So I actually do think Rutgers is gonna gonna continue on with the momentum that they've got. Greg Schiano is building a program there, and I'm excited to see what they can do in the next couple of years. Yeah, they'll definitely keep up that momentum and be as good as Rutgers can be in the Big Ten. That they'll compete against teams, they'll upset a couple teams, and they'll be a solid mid-pack Big Ten team. Uh, do I see them competing for New Year's Six uh, berths? Not really, but I see them being a solid football team that you have to coach well for and you have to have a good week of practice for. So, yeah, the, the Rutgers will be uh, pretty good. Yeah, I kind of agree with you guys. I think they're in a really good position because I don't think Greg Chiano is going to leave anytime soon. I mean, he's been – I mean, he's had his stint at Rutgers before, and that's where he's had his most success. Um, and that was the best record has been in the last like 20 years. So um, if he sticks around for a while, like probably for like at least six or seven years, I think he could have them at best, maybe winning like six or seven games a year, which would be really solid. I mean, I, I personally would be pretty surprised to see that happen because it's records, but I honestly could see it. So I think they'll build on it for sure. And uh, moving on to our next question. This one is for Matt only. Um, this is another one from, Chad S underscore five, two, nine, Matt, he wants to know what value does Charles Huff bring to Marshall and how big of a loss is it for Alabama? You know, it it, it is a big loss for Alabama. Uh, He was the number one recruiter in the country last year. Uh, He has a great relationship with his players. You could see that in the national championship celebration with Najee Harris. Uh, He was really excited. 
As far as what it is as a loss for Alabama, we just uh, Alabama just hired the North Carolina running back coach. So uh, who, if you look at his resume, he's he's pretty good. So I don't obviously it's a a loss for the program, but you know the machine keeps rolling whenever Nick Saban's there. But the value that I think Coach Huff adds to Marshall is huge. I love the guy. Uh, I was I was sad to see him go. Obviously, he's going to have his struggles as a first-year head coach. If they give him a couple of years to go through the bumps and bruises of what it is to be a first-time head coach, I think he's going to be a really, really good coach in the next couple of years. And uh, I wish him all the best. Uh, coach Huff, thank you for everything you did for the program. and uh, Or as Coach Saban would say, the program. Uh, thanks for everything you did for the program. And uh, best wishes in Marshall. Yeah, Alabama seems to be one of those schools where – their assistant coaches become head coaches every single year. They completely lose their staff and they just completely retool. So I'm sure Marshall is in good hands. So that's actually going to bring us to another question about Alabama's staff. This one's from at Jacob underscore tally 28. And his question is, is Jeremy Pruitt going back to Alabama following his departure from Tennessee? I would say no. I would say he goes and becomes a head coach at a smaller program to build his resume back up to somewhere where he can get hired at an, a big program. I don't think he's going to go back to Alabama. Jeremy Pruitt ain't going nowhere uh, for a while. He's going to have to sit. He's going to have a show cause, I imagine, um, for at least a year. Even if he wins his lawsuit and gets his money from Tennessee, he's going to have to wait a while. Um, so for Jeremy Pruitt, I don't know what happened to you, man, but I don't see anybody taking a chance on him until the lawsuit settles with Tennessee. Everything comes out from the NCAA investigation into Tennessee and what was going on there. And, uh, I mean, hey, the dude wants to pass me a happy meal, I'll take it. But uh, I I don't think Jeremy Pruitt's going to be anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, to me and probably most other Georgia fans who kind of have heard some of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes – um, when he was coaching under Mark Rick, this is kind of what we expected. And it's kind of like what Aaron Murray said, that he really didn't think he was um, set up to be a head coach. Like, he's not a CEO type guy. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I just don't think that, especially Nick Saban is going to hire a guy who is coming off having all these allegations against him. Um, even if they do need a defensive coordinator to come and help them out a little bit. I just don't see it happening. Um, I don't think he's going to be away from college football for too, too long. But I think probably for sure this year and then maybe next year, we will not be hearing Jeremy Pruitt very much. And I want I want to add something real quick because I have been very quick to poop on Pete Golding. But I think Pete Golding did a fine job this year as the defensive coordinator late in the season. Uh, early on, it was a struggle. And that Ole Miss game exposed a lot. And I don't know how much uh, was Charlie Strong's influence on Pete Golding, but he made some adjustments later in the year that even in the Florida game, it wasn't bad coverage. It was just bad matchups that Florida's offense was able to expose. So Pete Golding, if if you ever hear this, I just want to say I'm sorry for pooping on you. Yeah, I know Pete Golding is a huge listener of the podcast, <laughs> um, but we're going to go ahead and move on to the next question. Uh, this one's from at Brody underscore Hall. Um, his question is, who do y'all think is the best coaching hire so far this offseason? Lando, Lando doesn't know. I, I mean, I <laughs> waffled on this question for a minute because there, I think there's some good hires. 
But then, like, to me, the best hire is the staff that Sark put together at Texas. Not even the Sarkeesian hire itself, but the staff that he hired. Um, you know, he, he poached the number one uh, special teams coach and who was the number one recruiter in Texas when he was at Texas A&M and Jeff Banks, uh, Alabama's special teams coordinator. Now I think he's going to be their uh, assistant head coach. Kyle Flood, the offensive line coach at Alabama, uh, he's going with him to be the co-OC and the QB coach. So I think the staff that Sark assembled around him has him set up to potentially bring Texas back. I'm not going to say Texas is going to be back, but I think that the staff that he hired is the best hire of the, of the offseason. I'll say this. I know this is about coaching hires, but I think the best hire of this offseason so far has been Danny White to Tennessee. I think that was an awesome hire. He did unbelievable things to UCF. Um, Their revenue, the amount of revenue that they gained when he was there is, I can't remember the exact number, but it's absurd. So compared to what it was before he got there. So um, just wanted to throw that in there really quick. But my best coaching hire, I ended up going with Brian Harson. Mostly because there's not a lot of hires that I really liked. Um, I'm not a big fan of Sark. I don't think he's going to do super well at Texas. Um, I'm with you that he hired a good staff around him, but um, still extremely iffy on him and if he can run a team. Um, But the reason I went with Harson is because after not really liking this hire, after I read a little bit more into it, I think think he's going to be a guy who's going to build that culture up. Something that I think Gus Malzahn kind of lost him with. I don't think he really did a good job of building a strong culture, like helping them to all those players like improve as men. It's They were more so just like trying to do whatever they could to win a title. And um, you could tell by some of the games that they played in, they really weren't very, they weren't very disciplined. They just weren't a very disciplined football team. They missed assignments quite a bit. You could tell a lot of them, a lot of them would play really well their freshman and sophomore years or just their freshman year. And then would kind of die out after that because they'd kind of get a big head and he didn't do a really good job of managing his players. And I think Brian Harson will do a lot better with that. Um, and he brought in Mike Bobo as an OC and Derek Mason as his defensive coordinator. So I think those are both really good hires. Um, so I think Auburn ha- got a sneaky good hire with Brian Harson. I'll say that. From an unbiased national, nationally syndicated journalist standpoint, I agree. From an Alabama fan journalist, I hope he burns in flames. Not literally, but the program at Auburn, burn it all in flames. <laughs> Good grief, man. But all right, we'll move on. Uh, we're going to our next question. This one is from at Ryan Zinsmeyer. Um, and his question is, should the touchback rule be changed? For example, what happened in the Browns game? 100%. That play was not the reason the Browns lost. However, it was one of the reasons the Browns lost. That rule is absolutely ridiculous. Why is it that when a player fumbles the ball out of bounds, the ball goes back to the offense, to the team that fumbled the football? But if a player fumbles the ball through the back of the end zone or through the uh, sideline on the end zone, the ball goes to the other team. What type of sense does that make? That is the dumbest rule in the NFL. It is absolutely ridiculous. Needs to be changed. Needs to be changed immediately. I mean, I hate the rule, but at the same time, like, I don't know. It, it it only ever seems to come up in these occasions. And, I mean, I don't know that it would have changed. I, I, with Mahomes getting hurt and the way the game ended up playing out, it ended up being a much bigger play in that game than I think it would have been otherwise. Um, but I, I, I would – 
I'm okay if they change it. I'm okay if it stays. I mean, it it's just one of those weird rules that we only talk about occasionally when something like this happens. Well, I mean, I don't know. Would it be better if they got the ball at the five or the one? You know, I don't know. Hold on to the ball and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I agree. I think that rule is extremely unfair, and I understand why people get mad about it. But me, as a football fan, um, now if it's my team, I would probably say they should get rid of it. But as a football fan watching two teams that I don't really cheer for, like on an emotional level, I like it. I think it's really kind of, it's like almost entertaining. And I really didn't like that it happened to the Browns because I was cheering for them and I really wanted them to do well um, in the postseason. But like, it kind of adds a little bit of drama to the game, a little bit of like, like, oh, dang, Dan, that, that's really unlucky. Like stuff like that, that otherwise, like you don't get a ton of that in the NFL. So um I don't think it should be changed, but I see why people are very, very unhappy with the right rule. Uh, that being said, moving on to the next question. This one is from at Kissler underscore 106. Uh, and his question is, do you guys have any insight on Pruitt being out at Tennessee? And in y'all's opinion, who would be his best replacement? With the way the state of the program is right now, I think that there's really one guy that they should they should do whatever they need to do to get in there. Uh, at this point, now that we know more about what's going on at Tennessee, uh, and we know more about what Pruitt was going on there in, the, in, in his under his program, I think they're going to have to do kind of like what Ole Miss did, where they have a guy that comes in and fills a gap for a couple of years, and then they make the splash higher. But if I'm if I'm Tennessee, I'll go after Jamie Chadwell. He's from Knoxville. It's probably his dream job to be the head coach at the University of Tennessee. Um, if if you want a guy who I think is gonna do a good job of coaching up uh, players, I think he did a great job with Coastal Carolina this year. Um, if you want a guy that's gonna do that, he's not a huge splash hire, but he it's his dream job. He would give his offer to the school. I think that's the kind of guy that you need to go after. I know a lot of people are thinking Hugh Freeze, and Hugh Freeze would be good, but that's that's still really risky considering what the current stat, state of the program. I would go with a guy like Jamie Chadwell, um, who it's probably his dream job. I think he's even said before that it's his dream job. He wants to go home, and uh, that's who I would go after if I was Tennessee. Yeah, insight-wise, I don't really have much besides what I've heard on um, different podcasts and what I've seen on Twitter, which to me, it's it's really just a lot of rumors and stuff like that. So I don't really want to get into any kind of insight on why Pruitt was fired and what the recruiting violations were and all that. Um, I don't know if I believe what is being said on Twitter, like with the McDonald's bags and all that, but um, I, I have no idea. But when it comes to like replacements, the one name I've heard most consistently is Hugh Freeze. Um, but considering they fired Pruitt for recruiting violations, I feel like it would be almost contradictory to hire Hugh Freeze, who was let go from an SEC program not that long ago for a similar situation. It was a little bit different, but but still similar. He was fired for recruiting violations. So um, I don't think it'll be Hugh Freeze. Jeff Fisher is a name that's been thrown around a lot on Tennessee Sports Radio. Um, he's an ex 15 year head coach for the Titans and he coached the Rams for four years and, um, he was absolutely terrible on the Rams, but I could see them wanting to bring in an NFL guy. Um, that would surprise me a little bit because I feel like they really need to kind of rebuild the program and not, and I feel like when you want to bring in a NFL head coach, it's more so like we have a good team. We've gotten good players. We just 
aren't winning games and we're not, these guys aren't being coached to the level that they need to be coached at. And I don't think that's where Tennessee is. So um, to me, I think you need to throw the bank at Luke Fickle. Um, I don't think he would leave. So realistically, if I'm them, I'm going for Bill Clark at UAB. Like I was talking about earlier, he's a big culture guy. He's completely turned the culture around at UAB after um, what happened to them with the football team being let go and it coming back. And he had all those guys ready to play when they came back and he's been doing really well ever since. So um, I don't know if he's dead set on staying at UAB and trying to continue to build a program there, or if he is wanting to go for a bigger job eventually, but I, I'd be going after him. Yeah. But moving on, we have another question about Tennessee. This one is also from at Kissler underscore one Oh six. And his question is role play. You're the new AD at Tennessee. How do you sell a new head coach on the program in its current state? You sell them like this. Here's a Chick-fil-A bag full of money. We want to win a national championship like we did in 1998. And we want a player like, uh, we want you to recruit, to recruit players like Peyton Manning. That's, the, that's how you sell it. I, I think you have to sell it in a different way now than you would have if Pruitt gets out clean. Um, you have to sell the vision of the university. And I think that there's a little bit of Tennessee has to look in the mirror and realize now at this point, the, the knight in shining armor, Philip Fulmer, is gone because he didn't do a good job as an athletic director. He hired Jeremy Pruitt. The last hire, that whole process, was an absolute dumpster fire. You have to sell it as we are starting over fresh. This is a new program. We do have a history. There is There are expectations from our fan base, but... From an administrative standpoint, we know it's going to take time to get us back before we should put any type of expectations of competing in the SEC East. Can you recruit good? Awesome. You'll be able to recruit just fine here. The The fan base is passionate. It's one of the best atmospheres on Saturdays that you'll ever experience. You know, you, you sell it to them that way and get them to buy into your vision for the university as the AD and – hope that they build a culture that is consistent with that. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but but Lando sold me. I do just about anything for a bag of Chick-fil-A, whether it be cash inside the bag or an original chicken sandwich. But um, anyway, if I was the AD at Tennessee, honestly, I don't I, – I, I think that's probably the last job I'd want. They're, it's an absolute dumpster fire. Matt, you're right. It's um, They can still sell on tradition and talent because they do have some solid players. Um, that are in the program right now and it's a recruiting hotbed if you can if you can start playing well and win some games but shoot man I don't know I I think if I was Danny White I would be telling every coach I'm meeting I'm like I know you're we we are not in a position to win tomorrow and uh, we might have some violations come in so obviously um, we could have some bowl bans and whatnot and it's kind of hard to sell that when there's not like people don't know yet if there's going to be bowl bands or if there's going to be recruiting bands or anything. But to me, I'm telling every coach I meet with, you're getting at least five years. Like we're going to let you have this program, do what you want with it. Um, obviously, Danny White's going to be the guy to make the decisions when it comes to financials and whatnot. But um, and tell the coach anything you need. You let me tell me whatever I can do to help you uh, do your job better. And hire your staff. It's all you, man. You, you take it by the horns. And I think, if, I think if any AD did that for a program like Tennessee, they could end up with a guy who could be really special. 
And uh, that was our last question. We're moving on to our pour one out, cut them off segment. And uh, Lando, who are you pouring one out for? All right, so this week I am going to spend all my time cutting off the NFL owners. Six teams have hired a new head coach. Not one of them is black. For what reason? That reason is plain and simple. I'll let you guys figure that out. I want everybody to stop what you're doing, pause the, the podcast, and go watch the new uh, head coach for the Detroit Lions, Dan Kebble. Go watch his press conference and, and listen to what he has to say. And I want you to tell me, would you want that guy to be your head coach? And then go watch what Eric Bieniemy had to say about not getting a head coaching job. And you tell me, would you want that guy to be your head coach? And 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 put put it in the mailbag, because uh, I want I I just want I just want you I want you, I want you guys' input on that. Uh, the NFL needs to do better in diversifying head coaches in the in in, in the league because there's the, the latest trend is to hire the next greatest offensive mind, but Eric Bieniemy still doesn't have a head coaching job. The guy on the other side of the field for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers wasn't even looked at, doesn't have a job, uh, Byron Leftwich. He is a great offensive mind. Why are these guys not being looked at? Why are people like Dan Campbell getting jobs? Why is the Philadelphia Eagles going out and hiring some no-name from the, the Indianapolis Colts? You know, this has to change, and uh, I think we're going to be talking about, about this for many, many years to come. Uh, it's sad, but we need to talk about this more and get it out there because there are lots of great black coaches out there that can do great things with these NFL teams. Just look at the Miami dolphins from what they were to what they were this past year with Brian Flores. So that's all I got to say on that. Matt, what do you got? So uh, I, I actually understand where you're coming from Lando. You look at Brian Flores, even last year with the talent that he had to win five games was unbelievable. He's a phenomenal head coach. I really thought Leftwich or Bienemy would get a job this year in particular. Even Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles won 10 games with the New York Jets. Let's talk about that for a second. I know his overall record in his four years wasn't great, but he won 10 games with the New York Jets, which seems like it should have been celebrated much more. Um, but I'm pouring one out this week for uh, Ball and Oats. Uh, Alabama basketball is undefeated in the SEC, three losses, and they're in the AP top 10 and in the top 10 of the coaches' poll. They're a lot of fun to watch uh, for really the first time in a, in a very, very long time. Even when we had Colin Sexton, uh, some of those games would be really abysmal. Uh, with Avery Johnson at the helm, it always seemed like you would you would win a big game and then you would turn around and lose to – a, a lower tier SEC team. So uh, really excited to see that they, the Alabama played a bad game on Saturday and won by eight. That was awesome. Uh, so pouring one out for Nate Oates and Ball and Oates there in the Coleman Coliseum. And I am uh, actually cutting off Josh Moon of AL.com, AL.com, because in December he said, Alabama basketball is about to have a really messy situation on their hands after a loss. Uh, fast forward, undefeated, great season for the Alabama basketball team, and it's fun on Twitter to see all the Alabama fans uh, just absolutely roasting Josh Moon for that take because now it looks even worse than it was at that time. I never knew Alabama even had a basketball team. I've, I, I watch them every year, and this year it's actually fun, and they win, which is a change of pace. Normally they're terrible. I just feel bad for guys like Riley Norris who felt like he was there for eight years and never won. 
What, what you got this week? I'll be honest. I probably wouldn't even have known that Alabama had a good basketball team uh, besides hearing it from you and having our buddy Alex Brim retweet every single thing that Alabama basketball tweets on uh, on Twitter. You probably should follow him, to be honest, Matt. He'd be a good follow for you. Hey, roll tide, buddy. Um, <laughs> but I'm pouring one out for ex-BYU standout basketball player Jimmer Ferdet. Uh, I know y'all probably haven't heard that name in a long time. Uh, he dropped 70 points with the Shanghai Sharks this weekend. He holds every record known to man at BYU basketball. He's averaged 28. Uh, he averaged 28 points per game in his senior year and has averaged 37 points per game uh, since leaving the NBA and joining the Sharks in the CBA. Um, so who knows? We might be seeing a comeback from uh, from Jimmer, which would be really cool because I was a big fan of his in college. Um, and for me, I'm cutting off the Green Bay Packers for that last goal line stand. Um, Aaron Rodgers had a walk-in touchdown on third down, and then they kicked a field goal. Um, when they were down by eight instead of trying to tie the game with two minutes left, which in turn led to Kansas City running out the clock. To me, that was a terrible decision. And Packers, you guys cost me 50 bucks. So uh, not a big fan of the Packers right now. Keys, what about you, man? Who are you pouring one out for? I'm actually going to start with my cutoff. Uh, I'm cutting off the Tennessee dumpster fire. And, you know, they had all the allegations. Jeremy Pruitt got fired. Shortly thereafter, like six more people on the staff got fired. Uh, you got players decommitting left and right. You get players, you know, the, half the roster transferring to Oklahoma, which it's just going to make Oklahoma great next year. And we'll have to hear Lando talk about that for an entire year. Um, so I'm cutting off the Tennessee dumpster fire. Like you said earlier, I don't know who's going to coach that. I don't know how you're going to get somebody to coach that. Um, it's, I, I don't think next year is going to be pretty for them either. Um, they could surprise us, but I'm not putting any money on it. And I figured I'd end with my pour them out segment here. I, I had a little bit of a discussion question for you guys. So I'm pouring one out for some of the players that we personally, uh, us here on the podcast, personally grew up watching that could potentially retire this year. Talking about guys like Drew Brees, Big Ben, Jason Witten, uh, Danny Amendola, Jordan Reed, and Aaron Rodgers, like we talked about earlier. That's certainly up for debate. None of these guys are confirmed to retire yet, but... Who do we think could potentially retire that we grew up with? These big names like that. And uh, whose retirement is contingent upon a ring? Is Tom Brady going to retire if he finally gets that that last ring after redeeming? You know, he only had one more thing to prove. It's could he win without the Patriots? If he gets that ring this year, is he gone? He's getting old too. I think Breeze is gone for sure. I just don't think he can do it anymore. You kind of saw that in that uh, division game against the Bucks. Which is really sad because if you look at Breeze's career, as much as I dislike the Saints as an organization, I always liked Drew Breeze as a guy. Um, he was just uh, he, what he did for the city of New Orleans when he came in right after Hurricane Katrina. I mean, the the stories of him helping the community. Uh, I I I really like who Drew Breeze is as a person. I mean, obviously, I don't know him personally, um, but seeing the stories and everything was really cool. Um, I don't think Brady's gone with a ring. I think Gronk's gone with a ring. I think Gronk was a guy who he already retired once. Uh, he kind of wanted to be more of himself. I think you give him another ring, and, I mean, what more does he have to prove? He's probably going to be the greatest tight end of all time. I mean, if, if you look at what he does as a blocking tight end, even Travis Kelsey can't really match up to that. I mean, Gronk was going one-on-one -on -one with Chase Young in that Washington football team game and really helped bolster that you know, that game 
preventing Tom Brady from getting too much pressure. So I think Gronk is a guy that would probably retire with a ring because, I mean, what more does he have to do? I mean, he got the bag. He's got the rings. See you later. Yeah, we saw that Philip Rivers retired. Um, I think Ben Roethlisberger will retire. Uh, the way he looked after that loss against the Cleveland Browns gives you every bit of the sense that he's going to retire. Um, and shockingly, if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win the Super Bowl, I think Tom Brady will retire and go out on top. It, it would it would be just fitting for him to be. All of these people told me that I couldn't win without Bill Belichick. I couldn't win not in New England. Screw you guys. In my first year with a new team, a new head coach, a completely different environment, I went out here and won a Super Bowl. I'm done. I'm out of here. That would be the biggest mic drop in NFL history. I think if Tampa Bay wins, Tom Brady's done. I think even if he's got more in the tank, he should retire. That's a great legacy to leave. You win all those years with uh, the Patriots. You go to the other team. Win it there, just drop it. You say, told you, I'm out. I mean, I think it would be – I don't think it would be a bad idea for him to retire because it's it's hard because you see guys like Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning went out – he went out a Super Bowl champion, but he was a shell of himself. And, like, that whole year, he really isn't even the reason that the Broncos got to the Super Bowl. He was just kind of managing games. I think he had the lowest QBR of any quarterback ever in the Super Bowl to win. I mean, it was it was not pretty. And you don't ever want to be that guy. But Tom Brady's built different. Like, I think he just loves winning. I don't know if he wins that it'll be enough for him to to quit. Like, I physically, he's still got it. Like, I think that's his biggest thing is, like, as long as I can still push the ball downfield, which he had, like, I think his third or fourth best season ever passing the ball 20, more, 20 or more yards. Like, as long as he's still able to do that, I don't know that he wants to retire. Like, I think he loves football. At this point, Tom Brady has no other records to break other than Drew Brees' most passing yards in in, in a career. I think Drew Brees has like 80,000 or something like that. And Tom Brady is, is is at a close second, but it's really not that close. But other than that, he doesn't, he's already broken all the all the records in the record book the only thing he would be proving is that he is the goat and everybody already knows that so if i'm him i'm and i win i'm calling it quits and i'm going to go spend time with my beautiful wife and 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 enjoy my kids growing up i'd probably do the same thing but i feel like tom brady like matt was saying he's just the type to where if he can do it if he can still play football he's not gonna he's just not gonna leave um, and if I were him, I for sure would. I probably would have retired by now, to be honest. Just um, at least proving that you're good enough to go to another team. Um, and even though, like, obviously the Bucks have more talent than the Patriots do now, but I mean, Brady's never had, never really had talent. So um, it's not like that's really been a big factor. But it's not like he just, he's just has shown that Belichick is not the guy who he's not like Brady's not a system quarterback. He is a good quarterback. He is the greatest of all time. I mean, he's he's proved that to everybody. So I, I think right now he's just playing on fumes and uh, trying to show that he can do it at the oldest age of any quarterback ever. At some point, you have to protect your legacy, though. And, like, I would hate to see the season where Tom Brady is just, like, struggling, you know. I, I don't want to see the backup have to come in. I want him to go out on top. 
That's what I'm saying. Like Peyton Manning did that. That happened with Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning, Brock Osweiler got the Broncos to the playoffs that year. I'm going to say this, and it's going to be loud and clear. No matter what Tom Brady does, nothing will ever tarnish his legacy. He has six Super Bowl rings. He is the all-time leader in passing touchdowns. He is second in passing yards. He's been the 10 Super Bowls. He's been the 14 uh, uh, conference championship games. He is, n- nothing, nothing he does can tarnish his legacy. If he has one bad season for, for the rest of his career and, and, and that's the last one that we see of him, that, that it won't matter because he's, he will still have six, six Super Bowl championships. Tom Brady has more playoff wins than all but five NFL franchises. He has more playoff wins after age 37 than Drew Brees and Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers and Joe Montana. Like, the dude, there's nothing he can do to tarnish his legacy. You can go on and on with Brady stats, but I almost would rather the opposite. I want to see the guy become the mortal and that he can't do it anymore because when you leave that out on the table, if he were to retire after the season, say he wins a Super Bowl, and you see the season that he had this year, how do you not come back? How do you not say, I want, not only do I want to be the best, I want to be so good. Like six is this elusive number. Like you, you think about Michael Jordan, but seven, eight, you know, as long as your body can keep going, like, I feel like that's what we miss. Like, obviously, we didn't really get to see it live, but Michael Jordan retiring in the middle of his career, like, could have won eight in a row. You you always say the what if with MJ. You don't want to say the what if. Like, what if Brady would have came back one more year? Like, could he have done it? I'm going to throw in one more thing since we're kind of on the topic. I think somebody who has a good chance to retire this year, and I don't – I'm like I'm not sold on him doing it, and I really hope he doesn't. But I think there's a pretty decent chance that Matthew Stafford will retire this offseason as well. And he's still got a lot in the tank. But considering um, the injuries that he's had the past couple of years, he's got some long-term problems uh, with, with his back that have come out. Uh, people have talked about that recently. Um, I think a lot of people aren't really talking about him retiring because they're like, he's still a good enough quarterback. He's honestly in his prime when – He's healthy. Um, he just doesn't really have a good team around him. Hasn't had good coaching since he's been there. Um, so he could go to a team like the Colts or he could go to a team like the 49ers or um, or the Patriots or someone like that when he could go and make them a contender because he's he's a good enough quarterback to do better than what they have um, or like the like the Bears. But I it just feels like one of those careers with me. Like it's kind of coming towards the end. And even though he's still in a pretty good state of his career with all the injuries he's had, I have a very kind of sneaky feeling that he might be one of those surprise guys to call it quits. I could see it. I'm very, I'm very happy you brought this up with, because I, I remember when I saw that there was um, the talks about the team um, parting ways with Matthew Stafford, he could go chase a ring, man. He's all, to me, he's been the best quarterback that never gets recognized enough because he doesn't get to win. And it's, for the most part, been the team that he's been on, um, you know, the Thanksgiving curse, all this nonsense. I have loved watching Matthew Stafford play since he was a rookie, and hopefully somebody can pick him up, and I want to see the kid win. I think uh, Lil, Lil Huddy brought up in our group message, he said, this guy's going to go get a ring, and I hope he does, because that would be cool to watch. He, he's been suffering in Detroit long enough. I hope he finally gets to go out there and win some games. 
I like, know, I like watching him. Yeah, I, I I agree, man. Matthew Stafford is one of those guys that I feel like he's going to be in the Hall of Fame just because everyone's going to remember how tough he was. Like, the dude's played through some heinous injuries, too. And, I mean, he's put up big numbers. I really hope that uh, I, I'm as, you know, I, I don't have the same tie as you and you and Whitkey's because, uh, you know, you guys watched him. He's like your little flower that bloomed in college, and now he's gone on to the NFL. Um, and I, I think that that's, that's awesome. Um, I want I want to see him do well. I think a sneaky one for him is if Big Ben retires, I think he would be a great fit in Pittsburgh uh, where they've got talent around that offense they just don't have a quarterback that can really push the ball downfield and i think that stafford would bring that element to them you think they'd do that after the haskins uh signing i don't think haskins is a is a surefire deal i mean he well, hasn't either but especially since you like even whenever take the off field stuff aside on field he hasn't been great and i think that that if you, they got him probably for pretty cheap. If if Big Ben retires, why not go after Stafford and say, "Hey, man, I think that you could give us a chance to win a ring." That would look so weird. Oh, it would. That's see, like that's like seeing Brady in the in the Bucks jersey, man. I see the fit though, because he Matthew Stafford is the most Ben Roethlisberger quarterback there has ever been since Ben Roethlisberger. He throws the ball deep downfield. He moves well in the pocket, and he throws a lot of interceptions. So. <laughs> Uh, that he'd be a great fit. I honestly hope it doesn't happen. I think they are going to let Haskins start if uh, Big Ben retires. I don't think Big Ben will retire this year. I think he's going to give it one more season, um, which is why I was talking about the Colts. I think the Colts are – the Colts' only quarterback on their roster is Jacob Eason, who was a rookie last year. They don't have oh, Brissett anymore? No, he's a free agent, mm-hmm. so they haven't re-signed him yet. So, And then Phillip Rivers is out. He were just retired, so – the Colts are wide open in need of a quarterback, and they just were in the playoffs. So to me, trading for a quarterback, whether that be um, if the Eagles trade Carson Wentz or Jalen Hurts, they could be one of those guys. It could be, um, I mean, Matthew Stafford. I think the 49ers might try and trade Garoppolo. The Falcons could trade Matt Ryan. Um, but I think, and I mean, Deshaun Watson's another guy people are, are going to try and trade for, even though I think he'll go to a team with a little bit higher of a draft pick because I think that's what they'll be looking for, but. Um, I think the Colts are, at least for me, they're my favorite to get Stafford if he doesn't retire. Were people saying that Jacob Eason resembled Stafford a lot back when he was playing in college? He couldn't lay off the coke, apparently. From I, <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> I imagine, like a lot of those, a lot of athletes are cokeheads. But like, let's talk about on the field, Matt. On oh, the field, man. On the field, he had the cannon, but God, I don't know. I mean, to me, he never had the accuracy that Stafford was. Like, Stafford was accurate. The comparison came from because Matthew Stafford was a top five player um, as a recruit. He was the number one quarterback. And Georgia had not had a top a five-star, top ten recruit quarterback until they got Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason was ranked number five in his class, and Matthew Stafford was ranked number five in his class. So, And they both have big arms. That was pretty much the only reason that there was like a ton of comparison with that. They're very different players. To me, um, different builds, different mobility. Um, I mean, I think Jacob Eason could be a star in the NFL if given the right development, if he's got a guy in front of him that can kind of help him out, which is why I think Stafford going to Indianapolis and giving it another like three to five years or so and letting Eason develop behind him could end up being a good thing for them. But we'll see if that happens. 
Well, I've talked more than I usually talk in an entire episode in the past five minutes. So I think this next part here, I think this is all you guys. I know nothing about this. So wait if you want to take this one away. Yeah, we'll get into um, – there's one more question that uh, I wanted to save till the end because it has really not much to do with football. It has more to do with wrestling than anything. But this is a question from at Coach Kissler, and his question is, if you were to compare SEC football teams to Attitude Era wrestlers, who would they be and why? Alabama would be the undertaker because you can't get rid of them and they are always <laughs> relevant. The undertaker – went he won how many wrestlemanias in a row it was like uh was it 20 22 23 yeah like 22 or something like that wrestlemanias in a row it's just like alabama winning the national championship every other year or every year so alabama is definitely the undertaker see i i've got i've got vandy as funaki because Funaki was a guy that was always fun to watch i know that he he might have been a little bit later than than attitude area era but uh, this is what I had written down because when I think of a team that you always want to see them do well, but they just never win, that was Funaki. Like, Funaki was always a guy that he, he would go out there, he would do the high-flying stuff. You're like, oh, come on, Funaki. You go, Funaki. But you always knew he was just going to lose. Poor guy. But that's who I've got is, is, uh, is, is Vandy. Funaki was uh, SmackDown's number one ring announcer, so he, he wasn't really good at wrestling anyway. Exactly, there Vandy's Vandy's great at <laughs> Vandy's great at baseball, but you put them in a fo- on a football field, and they just don't know what they're doing. No, they do not. Uh, I actually have three of them uh, that I wrote down. One of mine is, and I think this is my this is my favorite one. I just think it's kind of funny. I have Texas A and M as Shane McMahon, and uh, the reason I have that is because I feel like Texas A and M, like Shane McMahon, is really only in the conversation because of Daddy's money. They have a lot. They have a bunch of money. They never really do anything, though, but they're always like, you know, people know their name and they get these big, like Shane McMahon got these big fights and A&M gets these big games and all this stuff because they have lots of money and um, they have big facilities and they're in the SEC. So um, they'll surprise everybody here and there and make a run, but they're never really a threat consistently. Um, and then my second one, this one's kind of, nah, I don't know how I feel about it. I just kind of threw it together, but I have Auburn as Triple H because uh, you never know. If they're the good guy or the bad guy. One year, everybody in the national media wants Auburn to win the national championship and beat Alabama. And then the next year, they're like the media punching bag and everybody hates them. So you never really know what you're going to get with Auburn. And that's kind of how Triple H was throughout the Attitude Era. Um, And then the last one I have, y'all are going to get mad at me for because apparently Rey Mysterio was not an Attitude Era wrestler. Uh, We had that conversation before, but I still want to throw it out there. I have Rey Mysterio as Kentucky. Because uh, he's always the underdog, even when they when he isn't great, uh, you always you always feel like he's overachieving, and no one ever cheers against him, which is pretty much exactly how Kentucky is. <laughs> Wait, I give you some credit, man. That that was that was well thought out. Good job. That, that was that was good. I I I actually had Auburn as uh, Eddie Guerrero, but I think Eddie Guerrero is more of a Tennessee now because they lie, they cheat, they steal. Uh, I was I, Eddie Guerrero was my Auburn pick. Uh, it, it fits for either one at this point, or you could say that right now Tennessee's Kane, as he's been burned because they are on fire right now and not in a good way, just like Kane when he got burned in a in a coffin. And I'm trying to think of some other ones that I I had written down. I don't have my notes with me right on hand. See, unfortunately for me, I really didn't get into WWE until after the Attitude Era. So as I was going through these, I came up with a bunch of them, 
Um, but they were all for wrestlers in the Lando. What did you say it was the um, in the, the next ruthless era? ruthless aggression era? Ruthless aggression. Yeah, that's that's where I, I came up with the ruthless aggression. That's right. I just thought of I, I just thought of one. It it's it's kind of it's kind of morbid, but just just bear with me, okay? All right, here we go. Florida is Chris Benoit because the head coach is killing the program. <laughs> <laughs> oh man you know you're not you're not that wrong <laughs> you're, you're not, that, it's, it, it's 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 very morbid very dark but you're not that wrong you guys care to give me any insight on that coming from somebody who never watched wrestling growing up chris benoit killed his wife and kids and then killed himself oh my god <laughs> it's not sounds funny. like florida it, it's not funny that that happened it's actually very sad but yeah, I, I I've got Georgia's Rob Van Dam. I remember that because like they they never every Rob Van Dam was always pumping his chest in the RVD, but he never won anything. Um, okay, and then I actually had Alabama's Stone Cold because Stone Cold was was a winner. You know, all, he, he won a lot, and everyone. I guess the only difference is is everyone hates Alabama now, but. Uh, with Stone Cold, he he was kind of the the face of the WWE for a while, and right now Alabama is the face of college football, and in particularly the face of the SEC. When everyone's like, "Oh yeah, you know the SEC's won this many national championships in the past ten years," and then you look at it, and it's mostly Alabama, and it's like, uh, "Thanks guys, our back's kind of sore from carrying the team." But Matt, when you said Georgia was was uh, Rod Van Dam, that was a perfect one because I would put Georgia as like like Matt Hardy. Uh, Matt Hardy Matt Hardy won every other championship but the actual big championship. <laughs> yeah. The on, the only the only big championship Matt Hardy ever really won was the ECW championship and who really gives a crap about that. Yeah. So that's kind of hey. like it's kind of like Georgia winning winning the Rose Bowl or the SEC championship game. Who really cares? Hey, Matt Hardy won plenty of tag team championships with the Hardy Boys and he's all about teamwork. Great comparison. I love it. Georgia's all about teamwork. Go dogs. Uh, I actually just came up with another one too, just kind of on the fly. Vander, well, y'all are going to get mad at me about this one too. I have <laughs> CM Punk is not an attitude era wrestler. I'm no, God, no. <laughs> God, come on. All right. Well, I had Vanderbilt as CM Punk because CM Punk had the straight, like the straight edge society stuff he was doing. And Vanderbilt is like a holier than thou university. They always think they're doing things better than other people, even though they're terrible at football. So that would have been a good one. I guess you could also say Georgia's Kurt Angle because he always talks about things that he did in his in his past. You know, he was always like, "I'm the I'm a, I want a gold medal in the Olympics," and it's like, "Yeah, Kurt, that was a really long time ago, buddy." <laughs> All right, well, you guys made the guy who put this question out here very happy. If you guys know who wrote this question, congratulations! Yeah, this, <laughs> this this was a great question, by the way. This is this was an awesome question. Give us more questions like these, listeners. Like I love these kind of questions. All right, guys. Well, that's our show for tonight. Thank you guys for coming to listen. As always, we appreciate it. Please give us a follow on Instagram at Around the Keg and on Twitter at Around the Keg Pod. Send us any questions or topics you guys want us to discuss on the show, and uh, we'll be happy to include as much as we can. Have a great week. See y'all.